Due to popular demand, you can subscribe to Kiko's Freethinkers Forum on YouTube. You can watch all of our videos there on our YouTube platform. Now you can also subscribe and listen to any of our audio on Spotify, Anchor, Radio Public, Podvine, Podbean, Amazon, and different platforms. Please tell your friends and family, and I hope you enjoy your day, beautiful people. Good afternoon, beautiful people. Welcome to another episode of Kiko's Freethinkers Forum. This is episode 42, and we're here with a very special guest. Her name is Amira Napier, and she is based out of Colorado, right? Yes, that is. And yeah, she has a BA in global studies and a GD and an MBA. She has a background in hospitality for um, several years. And um, she's a commentator. She has her own blog um, that has gone under a name change. We're going to talk about that name change. It's called Empathic Times now. And um, she has a YouTube channel. She has a blog, like I was saying. Um, It was formerly called Endemic Times. But again, we're going to discuss that change and two of her um, articles in particular that's published on her blog. And I just want to say welcome to the show and thanks for accepting that invitation. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here. Yes, and I, like I was telling you off camera, um, I invited you and um, SL Canton that we had a discussion last week from Twitter specifically. And I was actually hesitant um, going into it to even look at Twitter in the first place to see if I could find any same voices. But I am <laughs> glad that I did go into Twitter. Um, I've referred to Twitter in the past as a cesspool, but um, there is good quality um, in Twitter. It's just a matter of sitting back and being a ghost, like I've kind of decided to do. And um, and see people who are really trying to uh, seek the truth and um and have um, unbiased opinions about um, things that are happening in the world right now. And it's easy to kind of get caught up in these echo chambers with the different political factions that we have going on in the infighting, which is going to lead into us discussing one of Amir's articles in particular entitled Journalistic Integrity, Political Punditry, um, Hostility in the Fractured Left. And so we're going to talk about uh, one of those um, articles. But again, I want to say again, welcome to the show. And kind of get the audience into um, your personal story. Like, what is Amira Napier's personal story? Um, well, yeah. So my name is Amira. I'm originally from California. I grew up as a liberal Democrat, and all of my family were Democrats. So that was definitely the ethos for which I was brought up when it came to political issues and statements and kind of a mindset. Um, I'm half Palestinian. My father is full Palestinian from Palestine. And at the age of two, he was actually turned into a refugee with the rest of his family and had to spend some time in Jordan and also Lebanon. So he was deeply affected by the situation that happened in Palestine, shifting over into Israel and then having to deal with the onslaught of racism, violence, segregation, and what I consider to be apartheid. And so having my father be Palestinian and Arab and being Arab American myself, it really 
had a big impact on my political views growing up. And we were originally from the San Francisco area. And then my sister was dealing with a lot of racism because of the Gulf War and things like that. So we actually ended up moving to Northern California to <laughs> kind of just a different aspect of racism to a much more conservative area. But that was where I spent the most time, like my formative years growing up as a teen and also in high school. And so post 9-11, uh, I dealt with a lot of racism, a lot of discrimination. I even had a, a teacher the day of 9-11 stand in front of the class and say, this isn't directed at you, Amira, but all Arabs are bad and deserve to die. And she said that on the day of 9-11. So it really had a transformative impact on myself, how I view the world, how I view racism, how I view discrimination, because no one at my school really cared. I had a few friends that were really great and they really helped me get through that. But I even went to a principal, told them what happened, and they were basically like, here's your checkout list for your locker. <laughs> so they really just didn't give a crap about what I was experiencing. And that wasn't the first experience I had of a professor treating me in a very racist and discriminatory way. And so post 9-11, everything that I experienced really impressed upon me the need to understand our geopolitical sphere. So understanding the news and what it tells us or what it doesn't, because even on the day of 9-11, I was like so many other people, just like in, in absolute fright and scare of like, what is happening? I think I was like 14 at the time. So it was just, it was really, it was really scary. And then to have it on that day, almost be putting the, the like crime on myself and my family. I was just like, like, this is, this is so, it was just so incredible to me because I, that was really the first time I had dealt with that level of racism. So that inspired me to, as I graduated from high school and moved into college to study global and international politics and to really get a better understanding of what the global world looked like. And I focused my graduation thesis, as you and I were talking about uh, before we got on, um, in order to graduate even with a BA, we basically had to do a dissertation. And so I focused all of my energy, even at the begrudgment of my professors and people in my program, all on Arab media propaganda of displaying Arabs in the way of um, how they have darkened their skin on cartoons, the way that they um, like the way that their noses are are uh, cartooned out, like in something like Aladdin. That was one of the things mm. I I talked about in my dissertation. And I also looked at Edward Said's work um, of Orientalism, and that was what really got me into an understanding of the other. And it's not just the Arab world that's been treated that way. We've seen this with uh, Russians. We've seen the Chinese depicted in this way. If we go back in history, we've got the, the Irish, we've got the Scottish, and then we've also got uh, very stereotypical depictions of Jews in the media as well. Um, and so that just really kind of brought up a big broad spectrum for me of just the media is not something to be trusted and it's something to question. And that is the goal that I do um, and have at my YouTube channel, Empathic Times. Um, it was formerly known as Endemic Times and that started from my blog that I started into um, right at the beginning of 2020 when the pandemic started. 
And so my blog Endemic Times is actually staying as Endemic Times. And that's kind of the central hub of my writing. And I'm actually working on a few other things because I haven't I haven't posted on there in a while. But I wanted to have that website just kind of continue on because it lets me have a more kind of academic output and also spend a lot more length and time discussing some of the issues that, you know, you can't make like a two or three hour long video on YouTube because it's just, you know, fatigue and I totally understand that. With Empathic Times at my YouTube channel, the focus is really looking at the media and being critical of all media, even people that I like, pundits that I hear that I share, not 100%. I think it's really not a good thing to, to be 100% behind someone, but I find that I can have authenticity and credibility in the way that I speak and the views that I have by showing that I'm willing to critique someone even if I do agree with 80 or 90% of their uh, their views because I, I share those common values. Because I think that with media, especially right now, there are so many distraction campaigns. I mean, we're seeing this everywhere. I mean, like last year, it was the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. This year, it's the Gwyneth Paltrow ski case. Um, we've also got a lot of rhetoric coming from like the, the far right and even just conservatives of looking at like the Dylan Mulvaney things and the Bud Light campaign. Um, we're talking a lot about AI, which is very important. Some of these things are important, but at the same time, they're distractions to keep us from really looking at what is happening with our tax dollars continuously going to Ukraine, um, our constant funding of imperialistic and colonialistic, frankly, tactics that we do all around the world. And it's really putting the US at a major disadvantage. So my goal with Empathic Times is to just really dig into media, find out where the narrative spins are, who's telling most of the truth, who's not telling most of the truth. And I'm also going to be real and say, you know, these are my opinions. People don't have to agree with them. I even have some viewers will have some like kind of heated contentious battles in the comments, just kind of talking about our different views. But that's what I want to build and to foster because everyone's been put into these really divisive ideological camps where no one wants to talk to the other one. And I just, I think that that is a disservice to us. Um, the Trump derangement syndrome is really strong right now. It even continues to this day. And it, to me, is a big obfuscation of responsibility from journalists. Like, I think that mainstream media journalism has really done the biggest harm when it comes to whether or not we are able to converse with each other. Because there is so much more that brings us together than divides us. And we need to be able to talk with each other and have these sometimes really difficult conversations because it's with that that we will grow and move forward. And that's that's my ultimate goal. Thanks so much for the information. Um, you already answered a couple of my questions that I had as far as the purpose behind in Empathic Times. Um, and again, I reached out to you because um, I feel like we do similar work in ways because um the difference is that um my show is very much guest oriented um to like a one-on-one -on -one sort of an intimate conversation but we still kind of cover the news in a way indirectly but mm -hmm. um it's just a little bit more pinpointed i think but uh but very similar as far as um the independent spirit which is kind of what i want to get into um i thought about 
And I know this is from July 31st, 2021, your journalistic integrity uh, piece that you did on the Demic Times. But I honestly believe you could have published that today and it would still be just as relevant. Um, <laughs> Thank I, you. <laughs> and that's not necessarily a good thing as far as that's good yeah. because it shows that you're looking ahead. But at the same time, it's not good in the sense that I believe we're still caught in this stalemate of um, political ideologies. And um, I wanted to kind of get your perspective on um, what to you um, does the left even mean? Like, what does that mean when you hear the word left? Because um, you used it, it seemed like you used it kind of interchangeably in the article, but at times you made a distinction um, saying people like Anna Kasperia is, is liberal and then people on the left um, is Aaron Maté, for instance. Um, so mm -hmm. you obviously see some kind of a distinction, but what would the distinction be to you? Yeah, so, so at the time of writing this, so that was in 2021, things were slightly different, I think, when it came to the quote unquote left. Um, at that time was when there was all of that infighting going on just on our, I, I honestly, I don't even feel like I'm left anymore because I just, like, there's so many things I don't necessarily agree with uh, that I kind of, I'm now starting to kind of call like the hyper left, just kind of like the hyper right. But at that specific time, because, you know, Anna Kasparian and Cenk Uger are very much the, the kind of establishment liberal Democrat that's the slight rebel. Um, and, and so they're, they're extremely popular on like, you know, YouTube media sphere kind of along kind of the similar lines of like i would say like maybe breaking points um and so they're a part of what i i think they prescribe themselves as being somewhat leftists but at that time i considered myself a leftist i've considered myself a progressive and i do not share similar views with chenk and anna and they were at that time using a lot of the rhetoric around like the Me Too allegations, and then also trying to basically cancel Aaron and call him a Russian agent. And that was, to me, I'm like, I thought we were all on the same side. And so that was when I really started to see the crack among the left or, or liberals. And, and, and I think even now it's still kind of confusing of like where those, where those distinctions lay. And for me, it was just like, why are you targeting someone that is in regards to Aaron Mate? Um, it's for me, it's like if you have a substantive critique on the issue or a viewpoint that he holds, that is one thing. But to make like a blanket statement of, oh, he's a Russian agent and we can't trust him and all of that stuff. It's like, first of all, give us the receipts. And second of all, it felt like part of that beginning time frame of when the left just really started to break apart and now it's people that were you know not for force the vote were at first pro ukraine because they wanted to toe the party line of what the democrats were saying and now that it's two years later they're like oh no more war in ukraine oh you know like we're gonna talk about me too allegations for this person rather than that person and it's for me it's just it's this attempt to like discredit someone with no receipts that really bothers me because there's a lot of receipts that we can find for different people when it comes to where they stand on a particular issue and so that was why I wrote that piece. Um, I was reading over it again this morning just to kind of get back into where my head was at that time because there has been a lot that's happened since then. And I would say that that is really just 
it's i think that was really the starting point for the left when everyone started to critique people that were really pushing against the mainstream media narrative but it was people among indie media that wanted to stay relevant that wanted to not go to the extremes because they want to stay in the good graces of mainstream media and the biden administration the the dnc um and also on the flip side of that you know you can find the same thing happening on the right there's people that are going to push specific narratives whether or not they are actually true because they want to stay in the good graces of the republican party and that's why uh like even on my personal twitter page i'm just like i am politically homeless because neither party represents where I am politically now. Um, I'm continuing to look for an anti-war party. I'm continuing to look for journalists and media that's willing to do the adversarial journalism that they are supposed to be doing um, because there's just so much favoritism. There's so much clout chasing and there's a lot of separation I'm now seeing since this beginning of this rift in 2021 going after Aaron Maté, Glenn Greenwald and also Jimmy Dore. It really opened the door for what we're now seeing today, in my opinion, of leftists just kind of not having a cohesive path together, despite the, of course, differences we're going to have just based on everyone's individual experience. And I don't like where it's going because it's it's putting people in very particular ideological boxes. Um, I have friends and family that watch the Young Turks, and that's really like the only thing that they watch and focus on. And I think that that's a danger too, is when you're only looking at one particular echo chamber. And I believe that's something that I mentioned in that piece um, of just, this is the problem when media and pundits are not willing to be authentic. They're not willing to admit that they've done something wrong and to also admit that they are not always going to be right. Like that to me is like the peak of hubris um, is to say that like, oh, I'm I'm right. And when you are pointed out at being wrong and people have the receipts to do so, I think you lose any authenticity and credibility of being a media pundit when you don't acknowledge those claims. And that's something that I believe to this day, both Chenk and Anna have not done. Um, and so that was why I wrote that piece. And uh, if people want to check it out, you know, go to endemictimes.com. I have a lot of different pieces there. And like you said, it was something that I was seeing at that time to start. And I was trying to kind of think, okay, where is this going to go? And that's really the focus of a lot of what I do. It's not easy to validate every opinion that I have. A lot of this is just kind of what I see from the history. I've, I've done not, a, you know, I won't say I'm a history expert, but it's like there's patterns in history that we see that can explain where we are right now and also where we're going. And so that's what I've really been trying to do uh, at my blog and also on my YouTube channel of just where is this going to lead us? Because I think that we have to be as forward thinking as possible because the powers that be are doing everything that they can to distract us, to make us sad, to make us angry, to make us divisive. And that's why I do have a lot of critiques for even indie media, because I feel like they are starting um, to become that mainstream media voice, but on YouTube and Rockfin and Rumble and things like that, to where we're missing 
so many of the key issues that we should be discussing, at least, at least in my opinion. So. <laughs> no, I completely agree with your sentiment. Um, I'll talk some about what you mentioned about the left in a second. I, I think it's very much undefined. Um, and I think it's morphed some too, because um, I think that also has, that plays into um, the everyday person's lack of understanding of terminologies and stuff. And um, I think it's also a lack of um, understanding the principles behind um, not not voting necessarily, but just understanding one's own principles when it comes mm -hmm. to what they perceive as democracy. Like, I don't think the average voter sometimes understands why they're voting for what they're voting for. They just simply, they feel like they have to do it, but they don't have any foundation of principles to where they have this, um, okay, if someone can agree with me on this, I may consider that option. But if this person doesn't do this, then I absolutely cannot support it. I don't think people hold their vote sacred enough as they claim because they don't have those principles coming in. And I think that goes into the left-right paradigm. But we also, I think, lose out on the authoritarian, libertarian paradigm. I don't think that's ever talked about. And I think Kim Iverson made a good point a while back when she said, I think that the left is just becoming more um, libertarian. The, the so-called left, what it used to be, is mm -hmm. becoming more libertarian left and the old left that was i guess the democracy now the tyt crowd those people are basically just shifted more into the liberal establishment pro professional class and so it is yeah. to the person on the outside because they're like they may not even follow the young turks or any of these youtube channels and stuff so i, I definitely can't understand the confusion but mm -hmm. i think a lot of it just comes to if people wrote down things that they cared about and actually took the time to discuss that out loud with people, I think that they would arrived at, at better conclusions. But I don't think um, dialogue is encouraged even more so now based on what you said about um, just the Trump derangement syndrome that is still constant now. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember if it was, uh, yeah, I do believe it was in this article. I talked a lot about um, just the fact that they're, the division that started when Trump became president really kept people from talking to others. So like a lot of people I knew and and I won't say I wasn't part of that. I was I was definitely very shocked when Trump won. It wasn't that I wanted Hillary as president. And that's really the thing is like we continue to get these just horrific decisions to have to make. And this whole like lesser of two evils, it's like you're still having to call someone evil. And it's because this is true. And so at first I was very uh, I was very like in shock and awe when Trump won. It wasn't something that I expected to have happened, but I refused to continue acting like it wasn't something that I needed to look into. So like at first I was just like, oh, these people, like this is ridiculous. And then the more I started to talk to people that voted for Trump, I was like, we have so much more in common than media, which I, I already knew media is ridiculous. But I was just like, you know, there's so much more in common that we have. And, and a lot of it comes from, you know, my working class background. Like, I know what it's like to to not get paid well. I know what it's like to not have health care. I know what it's like to have astronomical medical bills and really struggle to be able to pay for them. I know what it's like to not be able to afford a home and have rent be taking up, you know, like a good 50 to 60% sometimes of your income. I 
I mean, and so, and that was what a lot of people that I was talking to that voted for Trump were saying. And they were just like, it's not that I like him. It's not that I think he's going to be super effective. I just want something different. And that was when I started to really look at where my political views had been for a really long time. And I, I had to spend a little bit of time being kind of like, damn, Amir, like you, you messed up, like you weren't following your own beliefs, because I was I wasn't being as critical of like Obama as I should have been. I wasn't doing the the work and the research. And, and part of that came from I was just incredibly busy at that time. And that's one of the things I've talked about in some other articles is just we are we are purposely made to be so busy and so exhausted that by the end of the day you don't want to hear the news you don't want to hear about what's going on even in our own country let alone somewhere else outside of the united states and that comes from just absolute fatigue of the worker class and they're the ones that are getting shafted the most by upper you know professional managerial class and up you know going up to the elites that control so much of our monetary system our political system you know, and now we're also seeing our social media system, the way that they're looking at algorithms, the way that, uh, you know, who's allowed to be on what platforms and stuff like that. And uh, that was also another thing I actually covered in uh, 2021 when Trump was taken off of Twitter. And I talked about the implications at that time of what that was going to look like for the future. And almost everything I talked about in that article came true, where both people mm -hmm. on the left and the right were getting canceled and excluded from conversations. And that distraction campaign has been prominent through everything that we've been dealing with when it's come to the pandemic, when it's come to our economy currently, when it's come to the war in Ukraine. I mean, there's just, there's so much. And that's why the media continues to work so hard to divide us, distract us, and bank on the fact that so many people are exhausted, understandably so, because they're just, they're getting so beaten down by this failing system. Yeah. What you're saying makes complete sense to me. And um, you mentioned the censorship campaign that kind of cranked up around the election um, and with all the cancellations on Twitter and everything else. Mm -hmm. And there was really a campaign before that. Um, I don't know if you recall, but when when they took down Alex Jones and Louis Farrakhan and some other people, when people, a lot of my friends were cheerleading that. And I already knew then. I was like, this is a signal already. Um, mm -hmm. You start hearing other people getting canceled it's just a matter of time before when your view becomes unpopular then the same thing is going to happen to you exactly <laughs> exactly what happened to me and and people even now I was, and, and people getting shadow banned on top of it um that's why i got off of facebook i got off the facebook six days before the 2020 election on purpose um oh. I was writing my dissertation. <laughs> good for you <laughs> I had been vote shamed so bad because they knew I wasn't going to participate in the red blue politics bullshit anymore. And I really hadn't. The last time I really supported a prominent Democrat was in 2008 under Obama. So I guess the the subconscious Kiko was already making more sense. Um, <laughs> it just took a while for the rest of the body to kind of join that subconsciousness because um, I think it was the, the end of Obama's first term going into that second term when I knew he wasn't going to um, help the Cuba situation because I was banking on him really opening up Cuba and us like getting, getting rid of Guantanamo and mm -hmm. I knew that was going to happen that's when I started to lose faith in you know him and just like the whole idea of progressive 
politics. Um, yeah. And I just kind of, I've been politically homeless, homeless for a while now, like yourself. But um, you said something about this escapism aspect to where people shouldn't care about politics because they're just working all the time, which goes a lot into your article, Business is Business, The Capitalist Lie. And that's all I could think about when you said that. And uh, I think that's why people are so ignorant when it comes to the issues that actually affect them because they're so tied to work. You know, they don't they don't connect that um, that struggle at work and all that time consumption with the political system and how that uh, plays into people, how you should um, try to be, I uh, guess, advocating, pushing towards like more revolutionary action. Um, but I guess after a while, you just become so complacent in the system. You're like, mm -hmm. okay, this is always going to be the situation. So, so why should I care um, about what's happening in um, Ukraine? Or why should I care about what's happening in Somalia or what's happening in my own zip code? And mm -hmm. I think that's where it comes from, this, just the work. And then you go support the football team that you love, the baseball team you love. And it's like, I want to get away from politics, but that's really um, a way to sort of disenfranchise the voter too. Yes, that, that's very true and very accurate. And that's where, you know, the other aspect of media from like entertainment and Hollywood, that's where their campaigns come in. So like they know that people are getting distracted and confused by news media. And so entertainment media, which I think that's like one of the few things the United States like does really well. I think we can really make some incredible content that like great movies, great shows. But even in those movies and shows, there's lots of narratives being pushed. And this is something that I think over the last couple of years, people are starting to kind of discuss and expose when it comes to like Disney and some of the more kind of hyper woke things that, that Disney is doing. It's, it's a lot more obvious, I think, the, you know, the propaganda of messages and certain ideologies and things like that. But that's where it's like people are starting to see they almost can't escape politics because it's everywhere um and even like fantastical shows like game of thrones and house of dragons and and even other things that are much more real world like breaking bad these are still aspects even though they might be fantastical even though they might be extremely dramatic and seem like they're outside of the confines of what we believe to be happening now there's so many of the similar power dynamics, the structures of the way that the governments are working or lack of government, you know, like something like Game of Thrones or House of Dragons, it's like we're looking at a monastic kind of a rule. And these are things that we can still kind of extrapolate and put to our own real world realities of like, what is happening in the world around us? And it's so many of these different power structures that are just trying to keep us extremely divided and also distracted and that's where i think hollywood is just they're amping up everything that they can to both distract and also knowing who they're like who they're marketing to who their audience is and then pushing agendas and narratives whether or not the company actually believes in those things. And this is something that I didn't necessarily talk about it in that business is business article you mentioned, but it does, it's kind of still part and parcel the same thing of the fact that it doesn't mean a company actually is diverse. It doesn't actually mean that a company is woke because they have merch that looks like it's woke or 
are pushing a you know a specific narrative that's very open and accepting of different ideologies and maybe they're discussing more of like lgbtq awareness and stuff like that things that are important things that should be happening but so often when you bring in businesses and capitalism and the corporate structures that we have it doesn't mean that the company actually ascribes to what they're talking about because a lot of times the people at the very 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 top are usually more conservative they just want to make the money and so that's their focus and i think that's the thing um i'm going to continue talking about this on my on my channel and diving into some kind of new forms of discussion because our media in all of its forms both news and entertainment is constantly pushing narratives onto us that i think sometimes people just don't necessarily realize or it's validating a stereotype, an ideology, a narrative that they've already been kind of conditioned to believe. Um, and that's like the aspect of persuasion that takes place within propaganda. Um, and I have a couple videos on my channel where I dive into these topics a little bit more if people are interested, but that's really where I see so much of the nefariousness of all of these agendas because it's like i've i've worked in the corporate world i know what a lot of these people are thinking and they are not thinking about oh we want to be diverse and inclusive to be diverse and inclusive they want to get people that are looking like they're diverse and looking like they're inclusive but they are going to continue to push the corporate capitalistic line of we want to make money we want to do it as cheaply and as effectively as we can while removing worker power while breaking down unions um you know like when we look at someone like uh, howard schultz with starbucks i mean we've seen so many illegal actions being taken place when it comes to uh, breaking unions and closing stores that finally get unionized and these are these are the tactics that are just are just prevalent and that we can see in like one company but this is happening on mass and so it's those kinds of things that i think people should just continue to be as as aware of um as we watch and read as well because there you know there's also propaganda in um text media as as well no doubt and um like you said a lot of it is is very much a subversive message um mm -hmm. because we're we're operating under the premise that people are so absorbed with their work and stuff anyway they're on TikTok all day long. They're on Twitter all day long or whatever they're doing um, when they're not working or doing something that they like to do. Um, and I just think about these uh, YouTube people. Again, I really am careful about mentioning names, but um, a lot of times the people can read between the lines and they know who I'm talking about. But um, you mentioned earlier how there's kind of been a, a shift from the indie media and that's why I kind of question, like, what exactly is independent media? Because um, there still seems to be an undertone of affiliations and um, certain types of people are gravitating towards certain YouTube channels and stuff. And mm -hmm. I think that becomes almost a, a business model in itself. Um, you see, like, the Jimmy Dore crowd, and, and, and he's came up a couple of times just on the pod, and we've sort of discussed it within the context of... Um, is there like an actual push for class consciousness or is that just something that's said to um to help to help his base um feel good about themselves like okay yes we're ultimately on the same page but i'm still gonna follow the capitalist playbook and subscribe get my subscriber base up and 
I'm going to relate to the Fox right wingers. I'm going to relate to these people, these people. Well, shit, I can get people from all over to, but I'm like, are these people actually taking in the message about class consciousness or is it just another outlet and bubble that's created? That's kind of what I struggle with with the Jimmy Dore types of the world. I really honestly don't even listen to Jimmy Dore much. Um, but I hear about him so much. And that's why I say it's almost like another form of mainstream media because the mainstream media, I don't watch it, but people tell me about it so much. It's mm -hmm. almost like I'm still participating in it because even if you don't watch it, other people are telling you about it. And I feel like people like him and the David Packmans of the world, all these kinds of people, like you don't even have to follow them for people to have basically this same kind of mentality. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I, I do think that, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of the indie media space is being taken up by, uh, I would say, a large group of people that are not diverse. Um, they might have diverse ideology. They might have some diverse talking points, which I'm not going to say those aren't important. I think it's it's important when what you do with your privilege, I guess you could say. Um, but one thing I have noticed within indie media is a lot of uh, it's 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 a lot of like clout chasing and it seems like it's a lot of people kind of wanting to pat another person on the back in order to build an indie media group that is all helping out each other mm -hmm. um that have kind of all kind of come up together and i think there are certain individuals that are more like at the top of that hierarchy than others and it's the people kind of trying to kind of claw their way or i don't want to say claw that might, might be disrespectful to some but you know people that are trying to move up within that because they have a voice they want to express it and i don't want to discredit that in of itself mm -hmm. but i do think that there is something to say about you know who are the donors in the background um you know that because there's some platforms where we can see you know the production value is is gorgeous i mean it's it's extremely mm -hmm. impressive it makes it i think really difficult for those of us that you know like i'm i'm in a little office room that i have um mm -hmm. you know working with my phone is my camera kind of thing and as much as I want to get my 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 messages out because I feel like I have a unique voice that I'm not saying it's the best one, but I would like at least like to get people to kind of see a different perspective. And that's where it's unfortunate that indie media is starting to kind of. Um, so it's just like a slight little tangent. So I, I watched a video recently that was talking about uh, the the boomer generation and that a lot of boomers got to their level of success and then they kind of picked up the ladder and put it off to the side. They didn't leave a ladder for others to come up after them. And that ever since I heard about that, I've been thinking about that in relation to indie media. And there's a lot of, of really large platforms that are doing great there. They are getting a lot of messages out there. And I think that that aspect of it alone is really important. But what is really disheartening to see is that it looks like they're pulling up the ladders. They're not doing as many um, diverse interviews with people that have smaller platforms, that have a unique view, that I do think that the audience is looking for, because I'll look through comments on some of these platforms, and some of them are like, why don't you bring other people on? Like, why don't you bring this individual? Why don't you bring that individual? Um, and it's something that is is really disheartening to see, because when I see someone that's l talking about like, uh, especially like the Palestine 
conversation. I have a few videos on my channel that discusses Palestine, but it is very personal. It's a very personal issue for myself. Um, and so I try to make it uh, at particular times where I will have that conversation. But a lot of these larger channels, they will get so much clicks and so much visibility when they talk about Palestine. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they are lacking an individual that is Palestinian, that can speak to Arab issues, Palestinian issues, um, Muslim issues, if they are Muslim. Um, and so that is where I'm starting to see a little bit of just like I said, I'm just really disheartened because these a lot of these platforms are ones I initially started I, uh, to watch. I really liked them. I was happy to promote them. And now I'm at a place where I'm just like, I don't want to support you if you continue to talk about issues or if you do talk about an issue at the random time you do, you're still not giving a voice to some of those that are doing that really good investigative work. Um, I, I don't have names right now, but I mean, there are so many smaller channels that are doing just really good investigative journalism. They're digging into the issues, you know, people that are talking about East Palestine and the trail uh, train derailments that are happening, people that are talking about our economy and, and what's happening there. Um, and and it's I wish that these larger platforms weren't doing the thing that I, I was worried was going to happen, but it seems like it's just it's inevitable in our capitalistic structure. And I don't want to fault people for needing to get money. Like it's, it's one of those things where we have to, we still have to function within the system. So that does mean we need money, but it's for me, it's how they're getting that money and who's giving them that money, who's backing them in the background, how, you know, their, their ad revenue, like stuff like that. Um, one channel i won't mention the name but like uh i think it was like a year or so ago they were talking about how much of a percentage was them being backed by a couple of donors and then how much they were being backed by like advertisers and it was just one of those things where i was just like how is this indie media then because how do we know that the voice the the view and the authenticity that you're proclaiming you have how do we know that that's real when there's people in the background that we don't know that we don't see um and it and it makes me question what kind of strings are being pulled in in the background and so as i see these groups just kind of building it feels kind of like high school again of just like all of these clicks going on um and if you're not part of that group or if you don't tout their specific lines then it's like you're you know you're out and that to me is like that's not what i thought indie media was was supposed to be. And that's where I, I get disheartened. But I also have some faith because of channels like yours, channels like mine, other channels like our like a lot of us that are trying to build a coalition of people that really want to dig into the issues, that really want to inform, and that also really want to embolden the people that watch us to say, it, you know, don't get disheartened by the system. Do the small things that you can do, which for me is always going to be mutual aid of looking around in your locale because yeah there is lots of shit going on in the world excuse my language no, um, but, <laughs> but it's just like you know we we have to be willing to do what we can within our own area um so like for me personally i when i go for a drive and i see a homeless person i have these little packets just kind of ready in my car to give them so that they have something to eat um giving some money to people if and when you can and i think that that's where the the local aspect of both 
mutual aid for your vicinity and then also your politics of just getting engaged at that local level i think you're going to see a lot more change within your own community and that's going to build a better community i think because it is of course it's going to be diverse because there's no 100 you know this kind of people in a vicinity and i think that just working with your own fellow you know your own fellow comrades down your street is really the way to go um and just try to stay away from the news media that's dividing us like watch it because it's good to stay informed mm -hmm. but i think it's just it's really important to always be critical of whoever's talking and and i say that about myself too like i know i'm gonna have a view that makes someone mad i know that i'm gonna say something that's gonna be wrong at some point like i have a couple things i know i've probably um said incorrectly from like previous videos from like a year ago but for me it's like at that time that was my stance and if something happens to where i am wrong i will be more than happy to to come out and say that and and that's where i wish all media would just realize like we are all humans like just because because you're labeled an expert, it doesn't mean that you aren't a bad person or that you don't have a, a manipulative reason for doing or saying what it is that you're doing or saying. And that's where just media in general gets to me because I'm just like, we're all humans at the end of the day. Stop acting like you're you're right because you have like a several million dollar contract and you're on MSNBC touting some obviously like shill establishment line mm -hmm. um so yeah just be critical of media that's that's that would be my my biggest advice yes i, I totally agree um there's some stuff you said that um definitely has my head kind of ringing um as far <laughs> as thinking and i like i said i think that the in the media space um i'm all about free speech um, I, I think it's great that um, we're able to do this kind of stuff like this. Yeah. We have our own outlets. And um, and like I said, I reached out to you. I reached out to SL and people on Twitter because it was refreshing to actually see people with their own identities. But I'm going to tell you, some, I, like, and, and I hate to keep bringing up the people like the Jimmy Doors and stuff. And, and honestly, I never plan on having them on my show. And even if I did, I wouldn't care. I would say it anyway. But um. I just think people need to be very skeptical. Like that's the whole point of um, skepticism is not to take everyone's word for truth. I mean, you have to always criticize even yourself. It starts from yourself and then it extends to everybody else. But um, mm -hmm. I just think that a lot of these people in these echo chambers are not skeptical enough um, of some of this content. And I think it's because like you said earlier, people are becoming associated in these networks together. Um, within the independent media space. And so if you say something critical towards that person that got you to where you were, then that that could cause some kind of a fight and stuff. Like I see it all the time. I'm mm -hmm. just kind of in the background. I'm a ghost just looking at these people <laughs> talking. Yeah. And I'm just like, there's people, I'm just like, really? Like they started out and I'm just like, that's an identity. And then it's like, you know, you grow more and more. And then all of a sudden it's like the content changes. And you're like, is that because people are funding you secretly? Is that because of something else? Is that mm -hmm. because you just, I don't know what it is, but I just think people are reactive um, when it comes to that. And um, I know for a fact that people from larger platforms like Jimmy Dore are borrowing and in some cases taking content away from other creators. Like I know it because I've used my common sense enough to know over the years that 
this is this starts to add up too conveniently like each time it's like it's, it's usually like a two to three month delay and it's like the same shit that we've been saying is like all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's popular for jimmy door to say it just like yep. the covid shit like his views about covid changed completely like if you follow it and then it's like at the certain time it's like okay i can say this shit now because it's starting to get traction and then it makes it like oh my gosh like that's such a radical stance and i'm saying to myself is it really a radical stance or is it just an opportune time to say what other people have already been thinking anyway? And so that's what I mean about people just be a little bit careful about um, these possible figureheads and popularities because um, you have to remember it's still um, within the capitalist system. People have to make money and people have to have their well-being sort of taken care of because a show like that, you probably have other people producing for you. You have to make sure you know they have their financials and stuff in order and so mm-hmm. now i totally get it but at the same time it's um i don't know what direction this in the media is going into and um i'm all about revolution personally and um i just wish that more people just took a hardline stance and just kind of built from that stance as opposed to um absorbing into a, like a larger crowd i think and that kind of goes into my question when it comes to um the political parties and these labels do you think like this so-called left, would these people branch away anyway? Let's just say ideally in a true democracy, which we don't have a true democracy. Let's just say the PSL and the Greens and the Peace and Freedom Party. Let's just say that they had 10 to 15 percent national support. And let's say that the Democrats and the Republicans had maybe a little bit higher notch of support. Would these same figureheads and personalities on YouTube, would they still be supporting the blue team and the red team? Or would they actually be in different camps politically? That is a really good question. I, my gut tells me that a lot of these different parties that we're seeing, I don't think all of them are doing it for bad reasons. I think a lot of them are really trying to build coalitions and and garner support and strength to start having us have more than the two party system that we have. And I do commend them for that. The, The problem that I do see is there there have been people within the indie media space that when it was convenient, we're talking about third party, we're talking about you know, kind of causing a ruckus to quote AOC, um, that we're that we're willing to say we need we need to change up the system. But unfortunately, that was when Trump was president, mm-hmm. when when it became the fight between Trump and all of the presidential candidates that we had going up in 2020. That was, I think, really the the telltale sign that indie media, at least the prominent indie media voices and, and spaces that have been created are not wanting to change the two-party system because one it would affect their viewership which would then affect their their monetary gain um and then it would also affect their access and that's really the the key issue i think here is that all of these all of these channels are wanting to retain access to the top um because they hope that they can then get to the top and then oh that's when i'll start speaking the real truth or that's when i'm gonna push for a third party but unfortunately from what i've seen and from what my gut tells me um i think that these these different parties that are trying to come up whether you know good and bad 
um, reasons behind them. I don't think that indie media is going to support them. And I think that they're going to continue to support, unfortunately, Biden um, going into 2024, which for me, I'm just like, I do not understand how that is integrity from that person. Cause it's just like, I, I could never say that I'm gonna continue to support Biden. I, I've never supported Biden. I didn't support Trump. I don't support really any political party anymore because it's just, it's a complete distraction and it's a complete lie. I mean, I don't, like you said, I don't think we have a democracy. I don't think that a lot of our votes really count for anything. Um, we see poll after poll after poll. Americans don't wanna be in the war. Um, Americans don't want Biden to run, uh, even on the democratic side. But when we have indie media voices that have garnered so much of their celebrity from pretending to be rebels and pretending to kind of toe the line um there it's like when you're still accepted in mainstream media it means you're not as indie as you're proclaiming to be and even with like Marianne Williamson um and uh Robert Kennedy Jr that they're now talking about I think that there's just I think it's just a lot of clickbait. I think they're just trying to to make it look like this is what they're going to do. But at the end of the day, they're going to side with the DNC and who they put up. Um, and unfortunately, I do think that, you know, Williamson and uh, Kennedy are just kind of continued distractions mm -hmm. because the DNC is not going to take their candidacies, uh, I think, seriously. And I think that's the point. I think it's to act like, oh, look at these two people we're thinking of. But at the end of the day, they're just going to continue to push Biden and Kamala, which to me is by far the scariest option of those three, because we see Biden's declining uh, cognitive health. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of corruption that we're seeing within the, the Biden family. And then also, you know, just this constant push with with Trump. Um, I did say in one of my videos that I think that Democrats are going to lose. I think that they're the red wave that we didn't see in 2020 as much, but it was still there. Like, like people act like it wasn't a, a red wave because Biden won, but it very much was at the, if you look at the more like state, mm -hmm. um, at the state level, there's been a lot of shift of to, to the red. And I, and it's not because everyone's a racist. It's not because everyone's a white supremacist. It's just because they're seeing what's happening um, and that they don't want a, a Biden presidency. And I think there's also the concern of what would a Kamala Harris presidency look like. And that to me is the scariest one of them all um, because she does not seem to have a good head on her shoulders. She seems very emotionally flippant. Um, she doesn't seem to do well with others. She doesn't play well. She doesn't take criticism well. And a president needs to be able to take criticism. All of these political speakers need to be willing to take heat and backlash for the things that they say and that they do or the things that they don't say and don't do um because that's the right that we have as citizens of this country that's where freedom of speech comes from this is this is our ability to to hold these members of these political parties that hold their feet to the fire because they work for us it's not the other way around and that's where voters have just been so disenfranchised over the last probably like two or three decades of just acting like oh they're the experts they know what they're doing we're just gonna let them handle it and it's like no they are not experts they're just paid really well to get you know told what to say um they're following specific lines and they're working for their own capitalistic gain as we see with all of these 
both party corrupt politicians using insider trading for you know the, all the different stock trades that happened at the beginning of the pandemic um you know the cares act doing trillions of dollars of wealth being funneled up to the top these politicians deserve to be critiqued we have every right to be saying what they need to be discussing and what they shouldn't be discussing and that's where i find indie media just getting so incredibly sad because that's what they kind of started out with they were going against trump and i was 100 like thank you I, I appreciate that you're being adversarial to trump but then when biden came along and all of that adversarial nature went away that's where i was just like oh hell no like f this like this is so hypocritical because you're not doing the thing that you said you were willing to do, which was calling out the structures of power. And that's what we need now. We need people that are willing to speak to those powers that be as scary as honestly that can be um, because they can cancel, they can come after you and Lord knows where things are going to go from here with like AI technology and things like that. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm kind of rambling, but like that's no, that's just kind of... Well. That's just kind of where where I see indie media. Unfortunately, I think they're going to leave a lot of people in the dust, very similar to kind of like what happened with Bernie. I think indie media created this huge coalition of people that were looking for something refreshing, different takes, different perspectives, seeing voices that they would have never have seen on mainstream media and also on YouTube, just because there are so many options when it comes to YouTube. It's it's trying to find these different voices that are extremely unique and authentic. Um, and unfortunately, indie media is, like I said earlier, you know, they're starting to pull up the ladders. They don't want to bring anyone else because they want to retain their status and their club that they've now created. And unfortunately, it's going to create more echo chambers of specific narratives that they're going to push. And ultimately, they're just going to turn into mainstream media, but on YouTube. That's exactly, um, I 100% agree. That's what's going to happen. And um, to, as far as far as I'm concerned, it, it has happened. Yeah. Um, and that's why, like I said, I have no problem um, dropping Dora's name because I don't plan on having them on the show anyway. Like, I don't care if people don't like that or not. Um, it's just simple. I just think people need to, to set their principles and kind of go from there because it's very hypothetical. It's not how it's antithetical when it's like these people labeling themselves like this and that and i'm saying to myself but it's it doesn't make sense just with the with the way just the behavior doesn't make sense i mean you would think that there would be a promotion of people outside of this um blue red paradigm um mm -hmm. but instead it's like you said earlier they're talking about marianne williamson really in rfk which tells me that they're still using that same playbook with we have to talk about these so-called Democrats, progressive Democrats and stuff. It's like, mm -hmm. why not just like, if you look at my show, like I don't even bring on Democrats or Republicans for a reason, because they already get too much attention as this. So why don't we exactly. talk about what we're going to do to build from the outside, as opposed to worrying about those people. And you can't branch off of them because you, you, you because that is the establishment. So mm -hmm. how are you going to, Focus on like what that, you know, they're not going to do anything. So why do you keep talking about them for? It's like, it's easy to see that there's no such thing as pushing the Democrats to the left because they're not the left. I mean, the Democrats yeah. are a corporate party. That's what they're, they're telling you that they're a corporate party. They're tied to the news industry, to the military and stuff. So they're tied to all these um, counterintelligence organizations and everything else. So why would you 
give people the hope that they're going to change or they're for the, the people of color, all this stuff. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Why don't we just start our own movement and like actually do something about that movement? Is it just too much work for people? Or did Bernie just fracture that whole movement? Because that would that would be my question for you and sort of my rambling would be how much do you think that Bernie Sanders has contributed to this so-called love divide? I, I honestly think that he was the catalyst of the division. Um, I, I mean, seven years ago, I had this come up as a Facebook memory. I called out the fact that I felt like Bernie was a liar and that he was, he was not doing this for sincere reasons. I felt like he was just trying to get people to join the side of the Democrats. Um, so like, you know, the, the echoes that they likely saw of people that would have been wanting to vote for Trump or wanted a more just kind of outsider candidate. And so he kind of took on that mantle and was like, here I am, I am your anti-establishment candidate. Uh, but he is establishment pretty much everything. And we've seen that unfortunately with uh, how he decided to take the presidential campaign in 2020 and basically just bowing down to to Biden, taking no, you know, no conditions for that. Um, and, and, you know, saying like, this is my friend. And then also the, the absolute travesty that was him saying that at the beginning of the pandemic, that pushing for Medicare for all was not the right time. Um, that was where I was like, yep, I, I called it. I knew it. I knew he was a piece of shit and I knew he was lying to us. And, and that was unfortunately where I think a lot of people started to see that. And that's, I think that was like the initial the initial push away from what's happening amongst amongst the left. Um, I think Bernie has a lot to answer for when it comes to where we are of just a lot of people feeling rudderless and, and like we don't have a leader because we don't. Um, and indie media isn't helping with that because they're continuing to push these people that are going to fall in line with the establishment the minute that they need to. Williamson is going to do that. Kennedy is going to do that. Mm -hmm. These are not these are not anti-establishment people that are willing to speak to the issues that are really critically important to the American people. And I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't see where, I don't see how we solve it, honestly. Um, I, I think that more people are going to continue to leave the left. And I think that it's gonna create a big people of like, uh, so like for me personally, I'm unaffiliated here in Colorado because that's a choice that we have, which I think is really great. It lets me be an independent voter and truly just like pick and choose who I think is going to be the right pick for different things. And I think that that's kind of where um, hopefully within our indie media sphere that we're creating here, I hope that that's the coalition that we can build is people that they don't want to deal with the hyper reactive issues. Um, they want to get down to the sole issues that are affecting people on an everyday basis. So that's looking at inflation, looking at the jobs, looking at our economy when it comes to the recession, looking at the housing market and dealing with those serious issues of like BlackRock and Vanguard buying up entire suburbs that are then going to rent to us and be our landlords for life. I mean, these are these are serious things that I think that need to be addressed that the center, you know, these unaffiliated independent voters that do feel politically um, unidentified because there's no one really speaking to what their issues are that they know are directly affecting them today. You know, like if someone's going to the gas pump, if someone's going to the grocery store, they're seeing the effects of where our country is at right now. And unfortunately, someone like Bernie has just created so much 
division amongst the left of who's still a Bernie bro and who isn't and who who went where. And I think it's just it created a monster of just division that I, I don't know how we come back from it other than people like you, people like myself and other people and channels that we work with that are smaller um, and just trying to elevate those voices as much as we can to say, here you go, viewers, like do do what you will with this. It's it, like for me, it's I really want to empower people to learn and to educate themselves. Um, it's why in every video I do, I have article links and videos of what it is that I'm discussing, because I want people to feel more power in what it is that they're choosing to watch, what they want to learn. I do polls every Monday on my channel about like, you know, some some key issues that I'm looking at that I would be interested in learning about um, and saying, here you go, like vote, let me know what you wanna learn about. And then I do that work for them. I, I dig in, do the research and do a deep dive analysis of, whatever the topic is. And I've had the opportunity to learn some really cool things I didn't know about before. Uh, the most prominent one was like global fragmentation and looking at our economy in relation to rival economic blocks. And in that video, I discussed specifically something that we're actually seeing right now, which is these coziness and ties between Russia and China, Saudi Arabia, and the what that is going to do to us in the future. And these are the things I wish that indie media was talking about. I wish that they would, you know, bring a smarter person on other than myself. You know, like, I don't think I'm all that smart, but I'm like, I'm trying to pay attention. And it's so disheartening when I see these huge channels with huge audiences. And I'm like, I feel like you're doing a disservice to your audience by not staying on top of the important issues. You're just you're just chasing for clicks. He's doing and, it on, they're doing it on purpose. They're very, but that that's exactly yeah. what I'm saying about they're getting too big because mm -hmm. their audience is um they're catering at that point. It's like I'm yeah. sorry, I almost get skeptical. Like I told someone, um, and I may have said it in an episode, if Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum gets to a million people, like I'd be I'd be fucked up in the head. Like seriously, I'd be so <laughs> fucked up in the head because I'm like, are people I mean, it would it would make me cry, probably just happy tears, because honestly, it would have just proved that people really are awake. Mm -hmm. um, but I just, um, I don't know, getting a million views to me is like, that's a lot of traction. And I just get really skeptical when people have that many views. I'm like, are people, are they really giving that much quality at that point? Like, I'm just saying that would scare me just knowing that how hard it is just to get one subscriber because they're like, okay, this person's really giving good information. Mm -hmm. And I can recognize the people with that information just on their content. And I'm glad to see people like you. And um, you mentioned the stuff you just talked about with the de-dollarization and the British coalition and stuff. We just talked about that on episode 36, brought on S.L. Canton. But like you said, S.L. Canton should be on Jimmy Dore. But Jimmy yes. Dore shared one of his tweets. And I'm like, mm -hmm. are you serious? You can share somebody's tweeting shit, but you can't bring the the motherfucker on the show like i just think that that's so like i don't know i think it's a little bit um disingenuous but um maybe that's me or whatever and maybe i'm too hard on jimmy Dore. but i i had a heart to heart with a guest um uh, matthew witt and he wrote um he contributed to this book um flashpoint in ukraine to talk about the russia um ukraine situation back then in 2014 and he was saying like kiko 
you're kind of helping me work through this Jimmy Dore situation. And I'm, like, <laughs> I'm not telling you not to watch Jimmy Dore. It's just I was making him be a little bit more, you know, question more. That's all. Like, that's the whole point of free thought is to question things. Mm -hmm. um, question my pod. Um, I question myself a lot. But that's what we have to do. Um, we have to be self-critical before we can criticize others. But um, I wanted to ask you one thing before we went. If you want to respond to that, that's fine, too. But I want to get this in about um, just this whole idea of the worker. And um, just to give a plug to workers' dignity that's going through so much in uh, my local community here in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, it's a worker-led organization. The board, which consisted of two people, got rid of all their staff. Um, all their striking staff was released from their duties last week. And this is like the largest worker-led sort of organization in the area um, that gives um, workers, like helps them get their compensation from injuries, workers' conditions, um, construction workers that have been killed, um, trying to get money for their families and stuff. Like we have those kind of organizations in the South that, and and we have an unfair reputation, I think, for not having like radical um, movement in the cities and stuff. But we do have that presence. But again, it shows the struggle too with um, these unionized groups and these groups that have these ties that are supposed to protect the workers. But we constantly see the workers being disposable. Yeah, it is. It's such an it's such a really devastating and sad thing to see. Um, I, in my personal experience, as I started off as a barista when I graduated in 2008, and then I moved into um, uh, like an assistant position, and then I moved into a management role for about like a year and a half or two. And there's there's so much solidarity among the people that you work with. Um, like I said, in you know, one of my articles, we spend so much time at work. And so it becomes this like second family that can either be really good for you or it can be really bad for you, kind of depending on the, the dynamic of, of where you're working. I think the thing that workers need to remember is that these businesses, these corporations, they do not have the success that they do because of some CEO making some really awesome, great decisions. They get to where they get to because of the work that you do, of the work that you do on the production line, the work that you do at your desk, depending on like what it is that you do. It is the workers that are working with that product or that service that are the reason why a business is successful. CEOs, CFOs, CSOs, and all of the executive management, they are at the positions that they are at because of them being able to come up with really great ideas of productivity and efficiency and how they're going to navigate wage increases and promotions and bonuses. And their main focus is all about how can we give the workers the least amount, but still keep them somewhat okay and we reap all of the benefits up at the top. And so I would just say to any of those working class people, just remember your power. You have a lot more power than you realize. It's scary. It's not easy to go up against your company. And it's not easy to say, we're gonna go on strike because you need money. You likely have healthcare or someone in your family that needs healthcare. If you have kids, you need to support them. These are all things that it's not going to happen in a, in, in a quick second. But I think that working with your fellow coworkers, finding those people where you guys have similarities with each other and seeing what you can do 
either within the confines of your organization. So if you are unionized, see what you can do to improve your conditions. If you aren't unionized, work with your HR. Now I'm not saying HR is great in every company. I've worked in HR. Um, that was the job I actually lost right as the pandemic started. I finally got into a position I was like hoping to move in move up in and i got into hr because i want i knew how important it is for workers to have a voice to feel like they have someone that they can go to when situations are going awry on the production floor um, or on the service floor and i wanted to be that person but unfortunately the people at the very top they don't want hr to function the way that it should which is having compassion and empathy for the workers and trying to build a cohesive healthy work environment where because you're here for eight, nine, 12 hours a day, you should have some feeling of appreciation for the work that you're doing. So I would just say, find, find what you can within your organization. And if you don't have something like that, if something really bad is happening, document it, like document everything that you possibly can um, so that you can build up a I don't want to say a case, but you know, you can build up a file to just be like, this is what's happening. And these are the things that we're not going to stand for anymore. Workers have so much more power than they realize. And that's why when we see the level of strikes, um, especially like in Europe, those ones are just mm -hmm. incredibly, I, I think, awe inspiring and revolutionary. Like you said, it's like, we need a revolution. And that comes from the working class people, the blue collar workers. Um, and we're seeing a huge shift in, uh, you know, I hate to bring it up, but like in Bud Light, like we're seeing their profits just completely plummet after they decided to make the decisions that they made with their, their marketing campaigns. For regardless of how people feel about that, it is making a huge impact on what the conservative base and the people that buy their product or no longer do like the, the power that they are showing with their wallet is really, I, I think, a visual of what workers can do in their work environment um, because things are only going to get more strenuous things are only going to get more difficult there are mass layoffs happening constantly the biden administration is lying to us when they say that the economy is great and that people aren't losing jobs people are losing jobs the economy is in the in the can um, and it's being at, at the very least aware of that situation so that you can plan forward um, and that's that's what i try to do on my channel is uh, the bits of advice that i can give i try to give that um, but i'm not always going to have the answers you know we're not always going to know what the best course of action is but that's what i would say to workers is just to remember these companies do not get to where they are without you like you are incredibly important. You should be appreciated for the work that you're doing. And it's completely understandable that you're feeling disheartened, disenfranchised and just beaten down because that's what they want you to feel. Um, so just try your best to not to not give that to them. And if you can leave, you know, like find find a different job. And I know that's hard. I know that's, you know, especially nowadays with with where everything is. But I think it's I think people need to be willing to make those difficult decisions where and when they can um, to really make that statement of like, I'm not putting up with this anymore. I'm not going to allow this manager to treat me like crap. I'm not going to allow this harassment that's happening around me and my fellow coworkers to happen anymore. And just really finding finding your voice in, in the way that makes you the most comfortable. Amir, I wish we could talk longer, but I'm, I, <laughs> Me I, too. I definitely want to have you back on the show if you're willing to accept the invitation. I would love to. That would be great. I've enjoyed this. Um, 
I feel like we could talk about a lot more stuff and um and we can um get into this um later with Israel and Palestine and um I'm bringing on a friend that I grew up with from high school um next week. He's actually um from he's he's um Jewish but he's from Iran. And um and then he moved to Nashville with his family. And so he has a unique perspective about um Israel Palestine. So if people are interested, you can go back to episode three and um you can hear that discussion with Benny uh set set a gap for and myself. And um it wasn't the easiest conversation, especially for me. I mean it's hard when it's a friend and it's a very sensitive issue. Um mm-hmm. When, when it involves human life, um, cost of human life and war and everything else. But um, we, maybe we can talk about that down the road. But um, yeah, that'd be great. Conversation. And um, I didn't know if you had any last words or so. Um, I guess I would just say, please check out my channel. It's Empathic Times on YouTube. And if you want to check out my writing, you can go to endemictimes.com. Uh, I'm also on Twitter. That's Empathic Times uh, for Twitter, my my main YouTube page. And then my personal is Amira B. Napier on Twitter as well. Um, I also just want to say thank you so much for, for having me on. I was really excited to be here. Uh, I know I can kind of go off on a lot of different no. tangents and talk about a lot of things. Uh, but I really appreciate all of the work that you're doing on your channel i've i've been enjoying watching the videos i've been watching i haven't watched them all but um i really appreciate the unique perspective that you're trying to bring um and and all of the diverse voices because i think that that's really what we need moving forward so thank you very much for your time um i really appreciate it and i look forward to talking with you again be great absolutely and um again this is a great episode 42 with amira napier um, again, I want to give a shout out to Empathic Times. I, I, I had to catch myself. I'm like, I'm always using the old name. Always using the old it's all name. good. It's all it's good. The Indians and Times. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but it's just great having people, true independent media. And um, please support Amira's channel. I'm going to link all the information into the descriptions. Um, I can't wait to have you back on um, down the road. Beautiful people. Who do we have up next? Um, this coming Monday, we have Dawn Duke, who was my dissertation director. She's going to discuss her new book called Mayala, Mayaya Rising. And we're going to have a panel of three people. We're going to be joined by, with Sarah Omer, who has already been on the forum twice. And um, Leslie Ferracho, who is also going to be one of the panelists to discuss the book. We're not going to critique it too hard. <laughs> we're going to more or less just comment on it, um, kind of give our perceptions, um, perspectives on the book. And um, who do we have after Dawn? We have, um, trying to think, we have Benny coming up on Thursday, Ben Sedegatfar from episode three um, to discuss um, artificial intelligence and everything else that we end up talking about, probably talking about Donald Trump and everything else. Um, And we just have just so many professors coming down the road. Heather Berg is going to be coming on in a few weeks to discuss her book. It's called Porn Work. And she also has another study that's coming out as well. So we just have great people down the road, um, activists, community organizers, professors, authors, uh, truth seekers, third party um, uh, people, just all different types of people. But um, follow Amira's channel again, Empathic Times on her YouTube, her blog and her Twitter page. I'll link all that in the description and have a beautiful day.